1: Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Hey, you guys. 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 Dudes. Susan Powell. Ugh. I am so enthralled in this case. That's exactly how I feel. It was like, I. Because, okay, I started watching the 2020 on it. There's one on it. It's season 43, episode four. I found it on Hulu. Mm -hmm. It's called If Something Happens to Me. Yep. I started watching it and I was like, I don't know anything about this case. And then I got to the end and I was like, oh my God, I remember this case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I knew you would remember it once you got to the end because I know that we watched something about it at dad's house. We may have even lived there when we watched it. Mm -hmm. But I remember seeing something in the ending. I was like, (gasps) Mm -hmm. like it always stuck with me and then I was like oh that's yeah that's this case yes and now I feel like I'm living and breathing this case like I am a little obsessed with it yep let's um I guess let's do trigger warning we absolutely should yes Mm -hmm. so we're going to be talking about murder yeah child murder Mm -hmm. domestic abuse violent death child pornography or child sexual abuse, however you want to sure. categorize that. Sure. We do also want to thank some people who have submitted a case suggestion form for this case. So we've got Brittany Goodspeed, Aisa Keys, Haley Long, Amy DeVito, Sarah El Mahi, Melina Lombardo, Megan Callis, and Ramey. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we want to thank Madison for writing this sweet little angel up. A hundred percent. And just a quick note: if you want to submit a case, we have a form online for that. It's killerqueenspodcast.com. I'm typing it as we speak. Why, it, why it's gone? Oh, well, because I typed dot com dot com. Oh well. Yeah. Slash. I always forget. I think it's just case. Yeah, Killerqueenspodcast.com dot com slash. Sl- mm. Jesus. Slash case. Submission, all one word, together. Got it. If you do slash, that not won't work. Gonna, not gonna work. No slash. Not mm-mm, mm-mm. Can't, can't. be lasson. Right. Okay. <laughs> Give us a little overview. Yeah, I sure will. Um, on December seventh, two thousand nine, twenty-eight-year-old Susan Powell didn't show up to work. She never dropped her two sons off at daycare. Nobody could reach her, and she hadn't been seen since the night before. Her sons and her husband were also nowhere to be found. But within a few hours, Josh, Charlie, and Brayden Powell had been located, but Susan was still missing. Josh said that he had taken the boys on a spontaneous camping trip the night before. Mm-hmm. In a snowstorm. Well, yeah. In Utah. In December. Oh. Yeah. That's, that got worse, didn't it? It sure did. He said that they'd left Susan at home and had no idea where she was. The investigation that followed revealed a crumbling marriage weighed down by Josh Powell's controlling and abusive behavior and unfortunately, before investigators were able to determine Josh's exact role in Susan's disappearance, he made one last horrific play for power, giving a big fat middle finger to his wife's family and friends, taking the last pieces of evidence to his grave. Ah, uh, yeah. I hate Josh Powell even more than I hate Casey Anthony. And I'm just going to say it. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, let's talk about how open your windows need to be. We, we're oh, doing a new yeah. thing. We're giving you a rating so that you know how much your windows need to be open. I think this is a full, full torqued, fully torqued fully window. Fully torqued window. Yes. You're going to want that. Take the window off, off the frame. Get that bitch off the house. Yeah. You're going to want all of your furniture, all of the people in your house. Sorry, animal. Everybody's gone. Yeah. Gone. No one's safe here. Throw yep. yourself, own self out and then come back in and do it again. It's going to happen. Yep. Yeah. 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 You can put a trampoline under there. We're not, we're not here to tell you how to handle the situation, but sure. you're, you're going out the window, too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeeting yourself right out. Mm-hmm. As the kids say. Watch. Because we're saying it now, the kids are no longer saying They're it. They're like, oh, so. God, is that, you? those old ladies said it? Gross. Yeah. Not, we don't say that We need anymore. to move on to something else. Exactly. Even yeah. cooler. <laughs> Even cooler than yeet. <laughs> okay. No cap. Oh, gosh. Okay. I know. I know. Uh, but we're going to go back to, <clears throat> excuse me, The beginning. Yeah. Which is where we like to start. I think it's important. Yeah. Okay, you guys, before we jump into today's case, we want to let you know there's tons more content on our Patreon. Woop whoop, whoop. Yep. And so Patreon is a service that allows you to financially support shows you love while also getting bonus content. In our case, it's extra episodes. For the most part, you get other stuff too, but lots of bonus episodes. Mm Mm-hmm. And we get to keep producing content for you. It's like a win win. I know. So, tomorrow we are dropping our murder mixtape and we're covering the murder of Ben Tester. He was a father, a grandfather, and a deacon of his church. He was beaten and hanged in his front yard. Arrests were made, but did they find justice? No. Yeah. Well, spoiler alert. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kinda. Yeah. Mm. And on Friday, we drop our fourth episode of Worst Roommate Ever, and this one is called Roommate Wanted Part 1. Netflix 100% nailed it with this being the final case in the series that they did, and it's a two-parter, and it will blow your mind. So mm-hmm. get ready for a lesson in the ridiculous rights that squatters possess. Oh my goodness gracious. They are so Eve and Gwen Stefani. Let me blow your mind. A hundred percent. So of course, um, Sunday we drop our weekly catch up episode that we call T to the fourth power. Why some time to talk to you. If you type it out, it looks like titty and that's what we call it as well. We're just talking about whatever is going on in our lives. It's kind of like a weekly catch up. Just, um, personally what's going on with us. We tell stories about damn near everything so yeah. if you want to know about that kind of stuff it's there on sundays yeah if you want the personal deets that's where yeah. you're going to get it so head to patreon.com slash killer queens pod to join in on the fun and if you want to be sure you never miss an episode join our email list so you can go to killer slash email and join the list you'll be the first to know about fun happenings you'll get to see every case that we're dropping in case there's one you want to check out on the patreon um, contests that we have, we talk about there, like all of that kind of stuff. So check it out. Hey, now on to the case. Susan Marie Cox was born on October 16th, 1981, to Chuck and Judy Cox in Alamogordo, New Mexico. She was the third of four daughters born to the Coxes, who moved from New Mexico to Alaska before finally settling in Washington State when Susan was still a child. Her family said she was just a typical teenage girl. She loved horses. Mm. me too she loved hanging out with her friends her sister Denise described her as her partner in crime a teenager who tried to be rebellious but never could because she had too good of a heart she's precious I feel like Susan I'm gonna call her Susan Cox because fuck Powell right? she she is all of us you know what I mean Mm -hmm. she's just a normal person with a good heart I just hate that she ever met Josh Powell. I know. I really do. And I think everybody does. Yeah. Her father, Chuck, said that Susan did well in school and in church. She had great friends and she loved choir. Susan was a beautiful girl and took pride in how she looked. She liked having her hair and nails done. She loved wearing stylish clothes. After graduating from Rogers High School in Puyallup, Washington, she went to cosmetology school. She really is you. I know. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she wanted to help other people feel good about themselves. So Susan and her family attended the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, so they were LDS. She'd grown up in the church, and her family was extremely dedicated to their religion. At 19 years old, Susan would attend social events at church. They had events that were dedicated to young Mormons who were single. It was like Like a a whole congregation. Yeah, basically, for just single people. And so she would go to that, and... You know, she wanted to meet people and, you know, find other people that she could be friends with or maybe meet a love interest. And unfortunately, she did. At the end of one event in November of 2000, Susan was heading out for the night when a man told her to come back in and talk with him for a little while. And this was 24-year-old Josh Powell. Susan asked Josh if he knew how to play piano. Josh seemed confused but answered that he knew a bit about it. Susan said she remembered him coming over to her house a few years earlier and playing piano. He was actually trying to get with her older sister, Mary. So she knew Josh, and I guess he just didn't remember this, <laughs> that he'd known her. But later he goes on to say, and this isn't, you guys, if you haven't listened to the Cold podcast, it's called Cold. It's all about this case. I'm guessing they named it Cold so they can do other cases later, maybe. I don't know. Because yeah. it, it leaves it open. But what they have out, as far as I know now, is just this case. It's like 18 episodes, maybe more because he had some bonus episodes too. So good. And I will be so starting good. that today. Oh my gosh, so good. But later he goes on to say that he like knew he was going to marry Susan when he went over there and was like trying to get with her sister or something. Susan was 12 years old when he started going over there. He's a disgust. And he's older than her. Like, yeah, yeah. just like gross, gross. Ugh. All right, I'm going to talk about Josh. Um, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want his name in my mouth, but I will do it. You're a big person, bigger person. I'm trying. Taking the high road. <laughs> <laughs> it's a human piece of garbage. Yeah. So Joshua Powell was born to Steve and Terrica Powell in Puyallup, Washington. If y'all come for me on how I said it. The only reason in the, in the cold podcast, because I listened to uh, the whole thing, they pronounced it Puyallup. Puyallup. I so have, if you come for us, you're coming for Dave Cauley and Cold. And I don't think <laughs> you want to do that. On the 2020, a couple of people said Puyallup. So I don't, yeah. I don't. It's a weird word. It is. I kind of like the way it's fun. My mouth. Yeah, it's fun to say. Yeah. Yeah. Puyallup? Sure. Washington. <laughs> <laughs> He was one of five children, including his brothers, John and Michael, and sisters, Jennifer and Alina. In 1992, after a rocky marriage, Steve and Tarika divorced. Tarika said that Steve disciplined Josh harshly and often attacked Josh specifically. So clearly, Josh felt pressure from his parents, and he suffered from depression as he ended up attempting to hang himself as a teenager. That's very sad. It is incredibly sad. As the divorce proceeded, both Steve and Tarika made accusations against each other and disagreed on almost everything. Steve was extremely against the religious beliefs of the LDS, and he even accused his wife of witchcraft and devil worship. Okay. Glass houses, Steve. Right? <laughs> like, wow. I don't think Steve Powell is uh, in any position to accuse anyone of anything ever in his whole motherfucking life. Mm-mm. But okay. Mm-mm. But they both threw accusations of extramarital affairs at each other and Tarika even accused Steve of possessing pornography that he'd showed to their underage sons. That has to be true. 100%. I mean, if I had just started out with this case and heard that, I'd been like, geez, that's kind of a really big and awful accusation. And then I'd, the more I know, I'm like, yep, sounds like Steve. Yeah. And if you talk to Jennifer Graves, Josh's sister, Steve's daughter, she was the oldest, I believe. Mm-hmm. Steve had a very inappropriate relationship with her. Very Ugh. inappropriate. Yeah. Tarika said that Steve was physically and verbally abusive to the children as well. And Josh's aunt said that she blamed Steve for her nephew's attitude that they could do whatever they felt like doing along with their contempt for females. Following right. the divorce, the three Powell boys stayed with their father. Big a mistake. Mm-hmm. While the two girls lived with Tarika. At one time Steve's parents got custody of all five children where they all lived for about a year and after that the Powell children returned to Terrica but it seemed like the damage had already been done. The children were described as quote traumatized. Steve's disagreements with the LDS church led him to begin having extremist views including polygamy. Okay. He reportedly had interest in another woman who was married while still married to Terrica. She said he wrote songs about the woman and his sexual fantasies about and had sexual fantasies about her he included those in his songs as well. And again, if you watch the 2020, you'll get to hear a little snippet of his singing ability doesn't feel right. You know what? I think we should, let's drop, let's drop it in. Okay. I'll Drop some in. Yeah. Cause you can find it. I've, cause I think his Steve, his, uh, his stage name was Steve Chantre. So, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I think that the last I checked that website was still up and you can just, straight listen to it. And I have had, I can live you in a secret way stuck in my head all morning and I want to die. I understand that completely. I said,
0: I love you. Is that a crime? And what if I say it to you one more time? I love you.
1: So put me in jail. Oh, <sighs> it's bad. Mm, it's not good. You know, it's it's just like what people tell us, you know, just because you can make a podcast doesn't mean you should. <laughs> just because you can make music doesn't mean you should. Well, and I know that Steve is doing all of his own singing, which um, some might, you know, praise him for. Um, I don't think it's great, but it has the same effect that Joe Exotic's quote unquote music <laughs> had on me. Bless him. Oh, come on. I know. <laughs> So all of these accusations and arguments were not kept secret from the children and Josh became withdrawn and socially inept and it became clear that his parents' behavior was taking a toll on him. Obviously. I mean, of yeah. yeah. Like, what do you expect if you bring your kids into all of your... Oh, it's just terrible. Mm-hmm. In 1998, Josh began dating a woman named Catherine that he'd met at a church event. Catherine was 19 and Josh was 22. So this mm-hmm. is a pattern for him. He goes after younger women yeah and I mean nineteen twenty two it's not it's not that big of a difference, but that's not the only pattern that we're going to see no, actually, I was twenty two and Andrew was nineteen when I met him. <gasps> predator, oh my God, he calls me a cougar. I'm like, i I'm two and a half years older than you. Sir. all right, Torello, We'll try to play them shaggy, all of his friends and see who knows it. It's a big age difference when it comes to shaggy. Well, that's true, Mr. Boombastic, they don't know it. mm mm, okay. So things went downhill very quickly in that relationship. Catherine said later that she didn't realize that Josh was keeping her on such a short leash at the time. He exhibited controlling behavior, wanting to make sure that she didn't have anyone else to rely on but him. Josh controlled her budget and even had Catherine take out a school loan, which none of the money that she got for the school loan went towards her education. And she said that, yes. Well, I was just like- He has her take out the loan, and then he's like, oh, no, you can't have any of this money. Exactly, exactly. Stupid woman. And that's the thing. I feel like we'll get into it, of course, but Josh, his MO was to find a girl with Mm -hmm. a big heart, a good person, Mm -hmm. possibly naive in relationships. Because when you're 19, you don't know everything about everything yet. Right. And... He exploits that and he manipulates that. That's what a narcissist does. Uh huh. Well, and yeah, like you said, you know, you don't know, you don't necessarily know. So especially when you're very young, it's easy to get sucked into a controlling and abusive relationship because, I mean, how many times have we heard it? And I did the same thing. Maybe this is just how it's supposed to be, right? right? Maybe this is just what it is, and I just didn't realize it, right? And the thing is, it took me a long time because I had been in um, an emotionally uh, and mentally abusive relationship in the past. I thought that I did something wrong. Like I was like, yep. how did I get sucked into this? Like what, I'm so stupid. Yep. And my therapist was like, no, he saw something in you that was good. You're a good person. Mm-hmm. That's a testament to what a good person you are. Yeah. He's the problem, not you. Because that's what they need. They need yeah. somebody who is going to go with the flow, mm-hmm. who's going to try to not rock the boat. Yeah. And who will try to see the good gen- in people. <laughs> Yeah, and genuinely wants, like, the best for other people, so you are more you are willing to take on blame. Yeah, and that's desirable mm-hmm. to someone who is a fucking mm-hmm. garbage narcissist, yes. Yeah. So, of course, right, she gets the school loan. He would have her sign the check when she would receive one, then he would put it right into his bank account. Yeah. At one point, Josh convinced her to move away from her family in Washington to go to Utah to live with his father. And if she wanted to visit her family, Josh had to come with her. Later, they moved to Seattle and into an apartment together. And one day in early 1999, Catherine traveled to Utah to visit a friend. But fortunately, Josh was unable to go. So Catherine decided that she wasn't going to come back to Seattle. And she broke up with him over the phone. I mean, yeah. Like, best possible scenario. Absolutely. I honestly can't believe he he allowed that to happen, right? Yeah. And I yeah. kind of think he, I, I forget because she tells, she tells a lot about this in the cold podcast. And I can't remember if maybe she just ended up going, even though he told her not to, but it was a very big, like, she was really scared. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot even imagine. And of course she later realized how toxic their relationship was. And she said, quote, he could be so good. He could be so sweet and loving. And then if things weren't going his way, not so much. I realized didn't realize at the time, of course, how isolated I had become because I think I built up in my mind that I was happy and things could only be better. And eventually we'd get married and things would be better after that. Mm -hmm. And Catherine admitted that she'd been very naive, but it didn't excuse how Josh treated her. No. And again, I don't think that that's fair to put the blame on yourself. Even if you're naive, that doesn't give anybody a right to treat you that way. Absolutely. Josh's behavior towards women was apparent in all aspects of his life. He seemed to want relationships with women, but then acted like he didn't know how to do that or what to do or how to show interest. And then he strived for control over the women he did meet. And a psychiatrist, David Reese, analyzed Josh's childhood and discussed why his family and upbringing had a significant influence on his attitude towards females. He said, quote, a child living within the family dynamics often tries to appease a parent who terrifies them by usually subconsciously adopting their beliefs and thought patterns. On some level, the child is going to align himself with the person he sees as a threat. That's so sad. It's so sad, and it's so powerful. Well, and you got to think about, this always gets me. Hmm. There are no prerequisites for having children. (sighs) No. You get pregnant, you get somebody pregnant, you go to the hospital, you have the baby, they send that baby home with you. Nine times out of ten. There's not much that's gonna stop them if you don't have car seat, maybe. Like, I don't know. You get to take them home. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what kind of life you live. It doesn't matter. They're they're not gonna come check your house. They're not gonna, you know, like well, they're not even gonna put you through like an evaluation or anything. No, yeah. There's absolutely nothing. So whatever your dysfunction is, you are likely gonna pass that on to your children and create more dysfunctional assholes like Steve Powell. Like Mm -hmm. it's just, I don't know. It's just like that's the only thing. I feel like everything else in life, like you know, you have to have some sort of a prerequisite. And I'm not advocating for controlling people having children. I'm just saying like, it's really sad when you see a situation like this mm-hmm. and what comes out of that because Steve Powell absolutely should never have raised children. Right. He's
2: absolutely. a psychopath.
1: Yes. Susan Cox, however, she knew none of this. and she What she saw was a cute older guy who seemed assertive and charming. He flattered her And Susan, who had a heart of gold, she fell hard and fast, unfortunately. So shortly after they began dating, Josh had proposed. (gasps) Who does that? Who moves that quickly? Love bomb, love bomb, love bomb. A hundred percent. Yeah, they got married six months after they met. This is April 6, 2001. Also, let me tell you the story of their proposal. Okay. Okay, so Susan at the time worked at Walmart. Josh never, ever had a job, basically. Like, sometimes he did, sometimes he didn't, you know. He couldn't obviously, keep one. Yeah, he couldn't keep one. So he told her that he wanted to get his mom a ring, but he wanted to use her discount or whatever. And he's like, I want to get my mom a piece of jewelry or whatever. So they go shopping and at Walmart, and she uses her employee discount to buy this ring. And then I don't even know if he paid her back for it. There are reports that he did, but that there's no, nothing is substantiating. Yeah, and it ended up being her engagement ring. So he used her fucking employee discount to get her engagement ring and possibly made her pay for it. Yes, that's his proposal. Yeah, come on. Their wedding and reception was at the LDS Portland, Oregon Temple. At first, Susan's friend said that Josh was very confident and seemed like he felt as though he could get any girl he wanted. Uh, Settle down, Josh. Well, that's... um, that's Awkward a, AF. Yeah, that's a lot of confidence for someone who should not mm-hmm. have that much confidence. That's Steve Powell right there. 100%. Oh and that's gosh. the thing, too. I was going to say this, but I was like, you know what, Tori, let's not. But you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Steve Powell, thinking mm-hmm. that he could be a polygamist. Oh, my. How are you going to mm-hmm. pull that much ass, Steve? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's possible because you're a creep. Yeah, he's a total creep. Everybody he's ever met is creeped out by him. Yeah, because guess why? He's a fucking creep. Exactly. And like Josh is the same way. He, for whatever reason, Josh, Josh was a little less upfront about it, I think. He kind of let his creep flag fly later on in relationships. Well, I mean, that's how you get girls is you don't show it until it pops out at the right moment, you know? Exactly, yeah. He seemed ambitious and strong-willed. He said he could take care of Susan. Erroneous. Uh-huh, erroneous. And like, and of course, like her parents were like, okay, he, you know, when they met, he had a job and he had his own place and all this stuff. When they were dating, Susan would go over there and clean his house for him, <laughs> do his dishes for him. Naturally. Fold his laundry for him. And he was telling her, this is what makes me know that you're the one <gasps> because you take care of me. How fucking manipulative. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And if you listen to the cold podcast, I can't shut up about it, it's so good. Um, he kept an audio diary. Mm. Tori, his voice is the creepiest shit I've ever heard. Tarla, the more you talk about this cold podcast, the more I'm like, forget this episode. I have to go listen to it right now. I'm done. Yeah, we're just actually, we're canceling this and we're just going to drop in cold on our <laughs> feed. Just whatever. Yes. It's, yeah, it's uh, so good. We'll link to it though. That way you can find it easy. I love that? Yeah. How about them apples? Oh, another thing the kids say. <laughs> yeah, 20 years ago. But a lot of other people describe Josh as super awkward and nerdy. They said his head was too big for his shoulders, which it absolutely was. I was going to say, I agree. Yeah. He told everybody, though, that he was going to college for business. And again, at this time, he has a job. He has his own place. He seems like he has it all together. He's described as a very bright guy when he applies himself. That is the operative term. Yeah. He doesn't apply himself very often. He only does when he needs to, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. For a while, the couple was very affectionate. They appeared happy and in love, despite the fact that some of Susan's friends were weary of the marriage since they'd only known each other a very short period of time. Susan told friends and family that she believed Josh and her wanted the same things in life and she seemed really happy. However, it was apparent even from early on in their relationship that Josh was less concerned about Susan and their new marriage than he was about himself. Josh and his father, Steve, spent most of the wedding reception using a new video recorder to make videos. And disgusting. Yeah, the video recorder is just going to get worse. Yeah, it's going to get so much worse.
2: With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
1: As time went on during the reception, you can see that Josh kind of drifts away from Susan. He ignores her. While he's taking pictures on his new camera, he's hanging out with his family. And Susan was getting irritated. I mean, it's their wedding. Like, I understand at your wedding, you there's this obligatory, like, I got to talk to a bunch of people and stuff like that. So you're not going to be, like, directly next to each other at all times. But he was kind of, he was so preoccupied with his camcorder that he forgot that it was his wedding, basically. Yeah, and forgot that she was even there. Yeah, and then Steve, of course, is just like zooming in on her boobs and shit. Like, Yeah, it's like Love Actually, but... Yes! Yeah, but even creepier, although it is creepy. It's when you really think about it. When you first watch Love Actually, you're like, oh, he's in love with her. And then you take a step back and you're like, What is he doing? That's a lot of video, dude. A lot. And then he edited it (laughs) and made a tape. Yep. Exactly. Okay, so by this point in life, Josh had accumulated quite a bit of debt. He loves debt. He said that he lived with the mindset of getting what he wanted at the time and not saving money. Hmm. He noticed that Susan had great credit, though, and was a very hard worker. <laughs> Appealing. Yeah, this is, this is very convenient for it's him. Tits for him, yeah. During their courtship, Susan spent her days at cosmetology school, and then she went to her job at the jewelry counter. And it was only the beginning of Susan financially supporting Josh, Mm-mm-mm. and I also cannot even fucking handle after she went missing when he was when he finally did that like media interview with that blonde lady. I oh, but don't Good Morning America. Name. Was it Good Morning America? It was Good Morning America. I should probably know who this woman is, but I don't. I don't watch the news. She's on the 2020 episode, but I didn't. It wasn't like oh, there's Peter Gibson. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I didn't know. Yeah. When she was talking to him and she was like asking him about their marriage or whatever, he's like. You know, yeah, I I, I love my family. I, prov- I provide for them. Susan contributed also. I scream. Are you fucking kidding me? Susan was the, the only person who had a job in your marriage. I know. And do you really think that Good Morning America is not going to look into that? Like, everybody knows. Everybody knows. I couldn't believe he said she contributed she, also. Yeah, I mean, sure, she brought in peanuts. But, like, I definitely contributed more. I provided for the household fuck off. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was, I mean, the amount of birds I was giving him from my couch mm-hmm. and just, I'm sure my dogs were like, what the hell is wrong with mom? Cause I was like, you're fucking liar. I, I was so and I mad. And like, he never, rarely ever had a job. He would go out and spend all kinds of money on very mm-hmm. expensive stuff like computers. And he was trying to like build his own website and shit and like all this stuff. And he kept being like, you know, uh, it's it's like, I'm building my business. I'm building my business. But like, he had a new business venture and plan. He changed careers like a lot of people. Well, you don't change your underwear at all, but some people change their underwear. And are you he supposed did to change your underwear? Underwear? Yes, you were supposed to at least once every two weeks. Oh, shit. Okay. Well yeah. I'll put it on my to-do list. Thank you. <laughs> this is your sign to change a draw was. <laughs> but yeah, he was just like into so many different career yeah. paths. oh whatever. Okay, let's keep going. Yeah. But I was gonna say, oh, when Susan, done. cause they only had the one car. Yeah. So at one point he stopped letting her, he would drop her off at work and pick her up. And, and at one point he quit doing that. So she had to and ride her he, bike. She had to ride her bike on the fucking highway and almost got smashed by cars, like, multiple times. And guess what? I've never been to Utah, but if it's a snowstorm in December. Yeah, exactly. And she's having she, to ride her bike to work. Come on. Yeah, I know. So after their wedding, Susan and Josh moved in with Steve. Woohoo! Everybody mm. loves that. Well, Steve yeah. does. Yeah. since they were struggling to make ends meet financially. And this was in the um, early 2002. They'd been unable to pay their rent at their apartment in Tacoma. So Steve's home in South Hill, Washington seemed like a good option. And Susan was the primary breadwinner, mm-hmm. according to everyone except for Josh. Correct. As, you know, Josh could not hold down a job. So living with Steve brought its own challenges. Guess what happened? My God. He, Steve becomes obsessed with Susan. He makes countless journal entries about his lust for her. He followed her around the house and was constantly videotaping her. He would do this when she knew it was happening and also when she didn't know it was happening. He wrote about his, (laughs) (laughs) Dorella. he wrote about his revelation when they moved in with him. And here's an excerpt from it. Yeah, quote, when Josh first brought her home, I didn't think much of her. I didn't think she was that pretty or anything. And now I can't take my eyes off her what is wrong with you? That First of all, that's your daughter-in-law. Uh. So doesn't matter what you think of her, how pretty she is or not, but how condescending. I know. Like, uh, I just kind of thought she was an ugly duckling, but now I look at her in a completely different light. Now she's prettier to me, worthy of my attention. Right. Gross. Which is not where you want to be, but mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's just so condescending. I just, I am so sick of these, like, Nobody should think that they're God's gift, right? I don't think that that's a good place to be in your life. I think that that's just a little too much confidence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially these fucking asshat guys that have no business thinking that they are God's gift. But Steve did. Yeah, he really did. Disgusting. Okay, but it it doesn't stop there. So um, when Steve's journals were later obtained by law enforcement, they revealed very concerning behavior. So he would steal, he would steal Susan's. 30 undies and replace them with similar pairs. He would take used personal items out of her bathroom trash. This would include cotton balls, tampons, wax strips. Use tampons. Use tampons. Use tampons. What he would do with these items was he would put them in Ziploc bags. He would label them and he would keep them. He even tried to use a small mirror to watch Susan while she was using the bathroom. Yes. Underneath the bathroom door. Uh huh. He, um, He wrote in his journal and listen. This, uh, this behavior is not okay for anybody, but guess who I'm thinking of when I would think just the mirror situation. Yeah. What is that blonde kid's name from Greece? Because he was doing that. He was looking up girl skirts and things. Oh, ew. Gross. Like, isn't that something that if, if this was a high schooler or like a middle schooler, I'd be like, oh, well, I don't know. It's not okay, but mm-hmm. it would make more sense, right? This is a grown man who was grandfather age. And and this is his daughter in law. Yeah, I can't stress that enough. Yeah, how awkward that would be at family gatherings. Like, oh my god, yeah, I can't get away from this man. (sighs) So he wrote in his journal, "Quote: I know some people would think I'm strange or even sick for collecting articles of Susan's lingerie, but try this one on for size. I just went to my Susan drawer. Oh my god, and sniffed a small wad of hair I took from her hairbrush. Is that supposed to make us feel better, Steve? I." Try this one on for size. Right. Look what I can do. Look how and far. he would like, yeah, he oh my god, he's so gross. <sighs> I just I can't. And like he would like videotape himself pleasuring himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To her dirty undies and stuff. And he would like narrate them like that he was smelling them and like it's disgusting. It's so gross. It's so gross. <sighs> he's very he's got a lot of cool Ethan vibes oh yeah slackers can you get with it yeah Yeah. get with it thankfully after a few months josh and susan were able to move into their own apartment in yakima washington yakima i think it's yakima i can't again it's not that it's not that important so we don't need messages about how to properly pronounce it it's fine yakima okay um but josh of course still couldn't get a job he couldn't hold one down and susan continued to primarily support the couple Despite Susan being out from underneath Steve's roof, his obsession still grew. And once, when he visited his son and daughter-in-law in in their apartment, he offered to give Susan a massage. And of course, how uncomfortable is this for Susan? And she says yes, because I don't, maybe she resisted. And he was like, come on, come on, come on, come on. It's like, okay, fine. So he rubs her shoulders and her feet. And then he later made a video journal entry as he undressed, talking Mm. about how erotic the experience was. He even tried to say that she like she was sitting on the couch and that she was using her feet to like rub his crotch. No. No. That did not fucking happen. This is a you're living in a fantasy. Yeah. You you are making up things that you wish had happened. Yeah. As to cuz here's the thing with what Steve was doing, he thinks that she's silently giving consent. Like she's definitely in on this and she wants it as much as I do. Mm -hmm. I can tell. Yep. Didn't happen though. No, it did not happen. In July of 2003, Josh decided on another career change, wanting to become a long haul truck driver, which is a surprising one for me because they're gone so much and he would not be able to control her as much. Exactly. Yeah. Like for the fact that he was like, yeah, I'm going to travel all the time. Like that's crazy to me. He went in for training. He was set out to be out for a while. So Steve offered to give Susan a ride back to her parents' home. And he was so excited to have Susan alone in the car for an extended amount of time with him. Mm -hmm. He's got his video camera on, but it's in a bag in the back seat, so you can only hear the audio. And in this audio, he confesses his love for Susan. And he's like, you know, I feel like you've been giving me some signals and I can tell that you feel the same way. And Susan is quiet. She's obviously very uncomfortable. But then Mm -hmm. she tells him, she's like, look, we're supposed to be, I'm supposed to be your daughter-in-law, like a step below your kids. And that's where I want to stay. So after Mm -hmm. Steve drops Susan Susan off at her parents, he writes a journal entry about the encounter. And he says, quote, I am in so much pain right now. I don't know where to turn with it. I spoke to Alina, his daughter, Josh's Mm -hmm. sister, Mm -hmm. who has been very supportive of my infatuation or obsession. Her advice was to accept that Susan is a player, and that's what players do. Alina is very much like Josh and Steve. I mean, I don't know how she feels right now, but through all of this, she was very much like Team Josh, Mm -hmm. Team Steve, and Susan is a whore. Yep. That was her belief. They lead guys on. This will probably be one of my last entries about Susan, my desire and love for her, but guess what? Spoiler alert, it's not. Nope. So while Josh initially thought that his father was insane, when Susan first told him about the encounter, the feeling wore off and Josh's relationship with his father returned to normal. And understandably so, Susan is like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Mm -hmm. So finally, in December of 2003, Josh and Susan moved away from Steve and to West Valley City, Utah. I can say that name a lot. (laughs) No problems there. They initially lived with Josh's sister, Jennifer, her husband and children. And Jennifer is an angel in this family. Oh my gosh, she's precious. Precious. She's beautiful. She's got a heart of gold. She's not like any of the other Powell family members. Mm -hmm. She was in touch with reality regarding the truth about her father and her siblings. And she also saw what Susan and Josh's marriage was truly like. And she watched how controlling he was towards Susan and how she had begun to fight back. Yep. So Susan and Josh are eventually able to secure a home loan and purchase a house. They both got jobs at Fidelity, where Susan excelled, eventually landing a full-time job while Josh was fired. Yeah. Surprise! Uh, So now Josh is trying to get a job as a realtor. (laughs) Do you know how much work that is? Okay, and also you have to be able to interact with human beings. True. And he can't do that without being awkward as fuck. So... He thinks he's going to become this big millionaire because he's going to sell all these like high dollar houses or whatever. He reminds me in a small, weird way that of um, I went on a date with this guy one time and he he said that he had aspirations of owning his own island. And I was like, well, what do you do for a living right now? And he was like, oh, I'm unemployed. (laughs) Well, you're on your way, I guess. I mean, it's like these grandiose yeah, dreams for yourself and you're like not making any strives or putting in the work to make this fucking happen. Like yeah, get like of course. Cor- yeah, like fine to have aspirations or whatever. But like, yeah, Josh, you're not gonna become a millionaire from selling houses by sitting on your ass at home, like and making your wife working. do all the work. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like and not dog. even letting her use the vehicle when she's the one going to work every day. Like yeah, oh. she's the hell person who actually works. Yeah, exactly. But Susan continued to support herself and her husband. She found a church congregation and quickly made friends. And one of her closest friends was neighbor Kiersey Hallowell, who saw Susan as a bit naive and immature when they first met, but nonetheless a wonderful person who was outgoing and easy to get along with. In June of 2004, Susan discovered that she was pregnant. It had always been part of her plan to have children, and Susan was so excited. Hmm. During her pregnancy, she studied and passed the test to become a stockbroker. On January, I, I'm sorry. Um I just wanted to say I think that it's amazing that Susan was able to become and have motherhood be a part of her life because she wanted it so bad. But my initial reaction to something like this in this situation is, oh my god, he's locked her in. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Right? I mean, Because he did. Yeah. He yeah. On January 19th, 2005, Susan went into labor. Josh would not drive her to the hospital and insisted that her parents take her because he had something to do. (laughs) He had to back up his computer hard drive. (sighs) It's not going to back itself up, Tori. That's incredibly true. I didn't think about that. Guess what this is not? This isn't the 1950s where the husbands are like, let's go get a beer, where our wives are doing all the work and whatever. Not fine then either. I'm just saying. He could not have given a shit mm -mm, about his wife or his child. Mm Mm-mm. No, not at all. piece of shit. I cannot even imagine, like, especially when you're in labor and, like, you're having contractions, you're already pissed off enough. Like, I just cannot imagine. I probably would have physically assaulted andrew if he tried right. to pull some shit like that yeah. like are you fucking kidding me right now i've never <laughs> had a baby but one time i stepped on a bee, and i feel like that's pretty much the same kind of pain so oh that's probably worse honestly. yeah i actually do think so yeah i mean i i didn't cry but it really did i said i think i said ouch a couple times you know what i mean so no yeah it was rough well yeah. i just like ah uh, and then he finally gets to the hospital more than an hour later and he's just like messing around on his laptop and finally, Chuck, Susan's dad, was like, dude, go over and like stand next to your wife and hold her hand. Like she's giving birth to your son. And he was like, Oh, yeah, okay, I guess I'll go over there. And uh, that's how Charlie was born. they a little boy. <sighs> like, could not be bothered. Like yeah. could not be bothered. Another thing words. he can't be bothered to do is actually finish something that he started, like get a job. So after maternity leave. Susan had a hard time going back to work. She didn't want to leave Charlie. And so she thought about, okay, well, Josh is trying to do this real estate thing. Maybe I'll quit my job and help him with that. But by this point, Josh already doesn't care about real estate anymore. He's over it. We never cared about it in the first place, let's be honest. But exactly. Yeah, I thought it was like a get rich quick scheme. Yeah. And then when he was like, I have to do work. Forget it. <laughs> like, whatever. She wrote in her journal about how the church was covering their groceries and utilities and how frustrating it was that Josh always seemed to want to take the easy way out. Her church bishop suggested that they attend marriage counseling and advised Josh to show his wife more affection. Josh said he couldn't because they couldn't afford another baby. Does he know that affection does not mean sex? <laughs> no. Yeah, that's what it seems like to me because he's like, what, you want me to, uh, to give, give her, her affection? affection? Yes, Exactly. Yeah. Like, no. um, you know, kissing doesn't make mm-hmm. a baby. Hugging, holding. holding, holding her yeah. Hand. Taking her to dinner. Well, who's yeah. going to pay for that. But yeah, there's lots of things. Buyer, well, he could pick a flower at the very he least. He could pick a flower. Yeah. Exactly. I know. He's just such an idiot. Mm-hmm. It had been quite some time since they had been physical, and Josh didn't seem to have any interest in doing so. Like, he literally just completely, I mean, he loses interest in everything. Like, yeah. whatever. Um, the idea of divorce came up multiple times, but Josh wouldn't let that happen. Susan wrote him a letter promising to do everything she could to help the marriage and take care of Josh. And she truly wanted things to get better, not just for Charlie's sake, but for her and Josh as well. Susan quit her job at Fidelity and soon after discovered that she was pregnant again. Despite the stress this added to the family's already tight financial situation, Susan was excited and hopeful, wishing for a little girl. On January second, two thousand seven, Susan gave birth to a second little boy, Brayden. Now, when I say how adorable these little babies were, oh my God! Oh my! They were so sweet. Goodness, the cutest so ever. Yes. <sighs> Pretty similarly to how he acted after Charlie was born, Josh seemed completely unattached to Brayden. He would hold the boys when people were around, you know, when it looked good for optics. But he didn't help Susan with changing them, feeding them, doing anything. And Jennifer, them. yeah, he didn't. Yeah, none of it. He did none of it. And Jennifer, Susan's sister-in-law Josh's sister said Susan loved those boys more than anything in the world. And she did. She did. Absolutely she did. Hmm. Not long after Braden was born, Susan and Josh filed for bankruptcy, which left Josh with his student loans, but it erased all of his credit card debt. And unfortunately, this didn't change Josh's attitude towards spending. He had grown even more controlling. He didn't allow Susan to spend any money, despite it all being earned by her. She got a new job at a call center at Wells Fargo Investments and quickly became popular with her coworkers due to her bright personality. And he attempted to control her spending on food, clothing, and necessities, even when it came to the boys. He insisted that Susan deposit her paychecks into a joint checking account, which she agreed to until later in their marriage. Then she started to secretly set aside some of her paycheck to, um, she put it into account that an account that Josh didn't know about. And in an email to a friend, Susan talked about how bad their marriage had gotten. And she said, quote, he is mainly emotionally, verbally, and financially abusive, basically. I'm a single mother with this guy that lives with me and dictates to me what I can do in my spare time and takes my paycheck and spends the money. Like she would bring, I forget exactly what it was. Like She had just like a whole thing of like either ramen noodles or like cans of soup or something. And that's all she would be able to eat mm -hmm. every day because that's all she could get because it's all she was allowed to have. And um, one of the women that she worked with said that one day, and I think it was like I think this woman had like a can of chili with her or something. And she's like, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Kit, will you please trade me? Like, I have been eating the same like super ramen or whatever for like months. I would love a can of chili. Like, will you trade me? And it's just like, because she's not allowed to buy food. Mm-hmm. She wasn't allowed to buy food for the boys. And I'm sure Josh ate like a king, did whatever yes. the fuck he wanted to do. Yep. <laughs> mm hmm. Susan made it clear to her close friends that she was considering a divorce, and in another email she wrote, quote, I am so tempted to just find a lawyer, write up some papers, and change the locks, and have a police officer with me when he comes home from work. Either he is that scared of counseling, and I need to deliver the unspoken counseling or divorce, or he thinks he can weasel his way out, and I'll stupidly endure this miserable marriage. Well, he is wrong. Mm. Despite Susan's emails, she was scared to go forward with divorce. She knew that Josh was smart and calculating, and she was frightened that he would take the boys away from him, or from her, excuse me. In June of 2007, Josh took out a half-million-dollar life insurance policy on Susan. Less than a year afterwards, he increased it to $1 million. She told friends that she was worried about her safety, and it seemed as though Susan's concerns for herself and her sons were growing. One day in June of 2008, Susan filled the front and back of a piece of notebook paper with what she titled, "quote the last will and testament for Susan M. Powell." In this letter, she wrote, "quote I bike to work daily and have been having extreme marital stress for about three or four years now. For mine and my children's safety, I feel the need to have a paper trail at work, which would not be accessible to my husband. I want it documented somewhere that there is extreme turmoil in our marriage." He has threatened to, quote, skip the country and told me straight out, quote, if we divorce, there will be no lawyers, only a mediator, and I will ruin you. Your life will be over and the boys will not grow up with a mom and dad. She was like genuinely concerned because it was after he took out this life insurance policy that he started making her bike to work on these like very dangerous roads. And she was very concerned that he was hoping she'd get hit by a car and then he could collect on it, Mm-mm-mm. and I—I I think he was. I believe it. This is—it's <sighs> just so terrible because it was that dangerous for her to bike that way. Like, right? Oh my gosh. <sighs> she also said, "If something happens to me, please talk to my sister-in-law, Jenny Graves, my friend Kiersey Halliwell. Check my blogs on MySpace. Check my work desk. Talk to my friends, coworkers, and family." It is an open fact that we have life insurance policies of over a million if we die in the next four years. Coworkers, family, and friends hear me say this occasionally. If I die, it may not be an accident, even if it looks like one. Take care of my boys. I want my parents, Judy and Chuck Cox, very involved and in charge of their lives. I love my boys. I live for them, and I choose not to cheat or do drugs because I would not want to risk losing them. It's just, this is, I mean, like rip your heart out sad. Yeah. Susan signed this and added a note for Charlie and Brayden telling them how much she loved them and that she would never leave them. In July of the same year, Susan made a video recording saying that she was documenting their assets in case of an emergency. She shows all of Josh's expensive tools and computer accessories and talks about how he bought a lot of it on her credit. Mm -hmm. Naturally. I just cannot with this fucking guy. I'm trying to keep the rage in. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm trying to keep it in. Not I, possible! No, I'm so mad. Like, yeah, okay, 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 okay. If you have to throw yourself out the window, I understand, and I'll finish the show without you. It's gonna have to happen. I'm. It's a noble so, cause. I'm so I'm so yeah. mad. So <sighs> mad. She shows his RC cars and remote control hovercraft. Meanwhile, why? why does he need this? She's having a can of beans for lunch every uh-huh. fucking day for the last four years. And 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 whatever he is eating, she fucking cooks for him. Mm. She cooks it for him. She is a slave mm-hmm. in her own home and a single parent, but he won't mm-hmm. he won't divorce her. Nope. Because she's his meal ticket. Property, yeah. Yeah, she's his property for sure, yep. yes, but he's not going to work for a living, so he's got to get his money somewhere. Mm-hmm. I cannot. Exactly. Oh, my God. So she gives a tour of the garden that she planted with several different fruits and vegetables, and at the end of the video, Susan says, quote, this is me, July 29th, 2008, It is 12.33 Mountain Time, covering all my bases, making sure that if something happens to me or my family or all of us, that our assets are documented. Hope everything works out and we're all happy and live happily ever after as much as that's possible. That's so sad. Mm -hmm. So sad if something happens to me. I know, to utter those words, because guess what? I think a lot of us have never had to say that, hey, if something happens to me, it wasn't an accident. Or if something happens to me, I think this person did it hmm I've never had to live in fear like that, luckily, but I, it breaks my heart for people who have. Mm-hmm, yeah. I cannot imagine, especially when you're living with that person. Every right. day, that's supposed to be the closest person to you. Yeah. So just a week after making the video, Susan got a safe deposit box at a Wells Fargo branch near her work. She filled it with documents that might be helpful in the event of a divorce, documents that showed bank account summaries, social security cards, and birth certificates, and Josh did not have access to this box. One of Susan's coworkers, Linda Badgley, said that Susan came to her sometime in 2009 and told her that if something ever happened to her, they should make sure they look at Josh. When Linda asked if he threatened her, Susan responded, no, he hadn't, but quote, it's just the way he talks. On November 16th, 2009, Josh dropped Susan off for work early in the morning and in emails to friends that day, Susan expressed delight at the fact that Josh said, I love you to her when she got out of the car. And this is not something that Josh did regularly. No. Who knows the last time he told her he loved her. Right. Which is, again, so heartbreaking that she can point out, you know, like, oh my gosh, he said I love you today. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, my husband says that multiple times every single day. Right. Like, it's just so sad that, like, she had to relish that one time because it's been that long. I know. And she's so excited about it. She's telling all of her friends like, oh my gosh, he said, I love you today. Like, mm-hmm. And she's understandably like super happy about this. The last three weeks had been better. Josh had attended church with Susan. They'd been working on projects for one another at home. His attitude seemed to be better. And to her friends, Susan sounded optimistic like their marriage was finally turning a corner. 21 days later, Susan Powell disappeared and she was only 28 years old. Disappeared. Mm-hmm. Josh is very calculating. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to see that as everything unfolds, but it's really, really sad. You know, obviously at the time she's thinking, okay, things are getting better. I'm getting through to him. Yeah. Like things are going to get better. And he's doing this so she won't leave. Exactly. So that he can, he can finish out his plan, Mm -hmm. which is horrible. Yeah. He never planned to work on the marriage. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it's just, again, she has this, like, such kind heart and genuinely wants her marriage to work. Right. And he takes advantage of that. hmm If I act like I love her, she'll be elated and do whatever I tell her to do, basically. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so terrible. We're going to talk about her disappearance and the investigation after, and then, of course, the... Terrible Just terrific. yeah, up. end to this case. Um, but we're going to have to finish that next week. Um, yeah, sorry. If you are a patron at any level, you are like part two is already ready for you to go ad free. So if you've not joined the Patreon yet and you want to go ahead and hear part two, you can hop over there, patreon.com slash killer queens And you can join at any level you want, but even the $3 level gets you part two right now. And all of our past episodes all ad free. So um, if you are not a patron, ain't no thing. We will catch you next week. Yes. Thank you guys so much for listening. We absolutely adore you and we hope you have a great day. Love you. Bye. Bye. Okay, you guys, before we go, you know what time it is. Shout out time It shout out time It shout out time. Woohoo. So we want to give a Hey Girl thanks to McKenna Lonidier. Paige Morris. Kenzie Richards. Ruby. Petticini, Ayla. Connor. Katie Pease. Jess. Annalisa. Carly. Janine Martinez. Mackenzie Evans. Ebony Kennedy. Pabla Sabatko. Lindsay Giles. Melanie Sturgill. Maddie Stewart. Shastina Gondaria. Alex Hill. Mackenzie McCormick. Samantha Macho. Alyssa... Masucci, Stephanie DuPont, Jessica Mosley, Alex Bazell, Ali Jade, Julie Allen Waters, Hayden Little, Mel, Stephanie Klinger, Skyler, Ashlyn Krager, Caitlin Brower, Alex, Morgan Davis, Nicole Tiger, Alexandra Hawthorne, Claire, Leah Boss, Emily, Nick and Melissa Bertoni, Emma Gibson, Ellen Darney, Molly Smith, Allie Ann, Nancy and Jillian Nolipinski, and Mary Huxing. I feel like we goofed a bunch of those, and we're real sorry about that. Absolutely. Uh, names are special. They you are... know, everyone's name is so special, and oftentimes that means a mispronunciation. Absolutely. But if you want to have your name butchered by mm-hmm. one or both of us... Join the Patreon at the $10 level. Exactly. We'll butcher your name all day. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. We love, love, love you guys. Yes, we love you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Steven's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show.